Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. How would you advise a single mother to kind of help a child that maybe because of what they've seen their parents go through um, to kind of not see marriage as that in general? Because I feel like for a lot of children that have grown up in single parent homes, they tend to see marriage as this thing that they can't really, you know, pursue or they don't have that faith that that can work for them so how would how can those kinds of parents you know help oh, okay yes anyone <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah okay um i think the first thing i i i want to say is that um I mean, when, when marriage when marriage breaks, I haven't experienced it, but um, knowing family and friends who have experienced it, I think that when marriage breaks up, it's always a big um, um, challenge for for the people involved. Um, then I just want to add also that, and I always say this to, to my wife when we talk, um, if someone is a man and has a child and is in a marriage, that person is a father and that person is also a husband. And the collapse of one of the relationships does not necessarily mean that the other one should collapse as well. A man may stop to be a husband, but I don't think, I don't believe that except in situations where um, contact with the child um, threatens the child's welfare. And, and that's not necessarily the, the it, it shouldn't be just the opinion of the mom. It should be something that is factual. Except that's what we're dealing with. I, I don't believe that simply because a marriage has collapsed, then a child should not experience um, fatherhood or a child should not experience motherhood. I think um, based on that, um, I think the, the spouses should, I mean, estranged spouses should find a way to allow each other have opportunity, you know, to play their parental roles, which they owe the children. So um, that said, the other thing I, I also want to say is that I think transparency matters a lot. And it's not just about um, with um, you know marriage all around the raising children. It's good that children know um, that that we struggled with certain things. Don't 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 do doesn't necessarily mean that those things are. I mean, the good sides of those things are not available. So if I'm a if I'm a if I'm a, if I'm, a, if I'm in a marriage as a dad or as as a husband and my wife is not treating me well, my wife treats me well. But I'm just saying, if my wife is not treating me well. I shouldn't raise my children. I shouldn't communicate to my children in a way that suggests that women don't treat their husbands well, wives don't treat their husbands well, or my, my or husbands don't treat their wives well. When we sell that to the children, we actually destroy them, you know. But we should communicate transparently, and that transparency also means that we are not just trying to say things the way. Transparency means we are saying things the way they are, which also means that. My experience is not necessarily the way marriage is experienced by everyone, you know. So I think um, that gives children a balanced, 
a balanced view of marriage and a balanced view of life. You know, that's just what I want to add there. Yeah. I mean, one, one part I'll just add to that is to say, I'm sure many of us have heard this thing that the way most people, the, the way they train um, guys who spot fake currencies is not by showing them fake currencies. That the way they spot it is by showing them real currencies and that if they master the real currency, they'll be able to spot the counterfeit. Meaning, the existence, uh, to see something that is a counterfeit means that there has to be the real. There's no counterfeit without the real or something. And so just to underscore this thing about, I would say that as, as the children grow older, the mother or the father, whichever one, has to be intentionally transparent and to say, my marriage didn't work, but that doesn't mean, in fact, it was this and this that didn't work out well. I know some who have said literally, I, have, I was advised against marrying your dad. I was advised against marrying your, um, um, your mom. And I went against that advice and look at the things, this is how I chose or this is how I didn't choose well. And so what they are then doing is to say, it's because I didn't do it well. It's not because this institution is bad. And so just taking them, being honest about their mistakes, lets them know that this thing is actually good. Um, right you know in the african-american community which sadly i think last time i saw is about the most true i think about 70 percent of children grew up in single single parent homes it's, it's that bad right now one of the things that is a joy to see is that a lot of the especially the men that grow out of that i'll give you one example lebron james right is to most people's account is an exemplary father and the reason why is because his dad wasn't there and so the counterfeit, the bad marriages should be able to inspire them to say, all right, at least I've learned how not to do it. But I'm sure that there is a right way to do it. Thank you for those answers. Um, we, we have a question from Ruth and say on the WhatsApp. It says, how do you create time for yourself? and your partner in the midst of children, especially little ones? You create time. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, have to, you, have to put, um, you have to put boundaries, especially from early on. Um, if you don't put boundaries, if you don't intentionally create time, there'll be no time. So you have to come, you have to sit down, both of you and say, okay, we want a date night. We want, um, I want time for myself. I want time to be refreshed. I don't want to go crazy with taking care of the kids. Say, okay, you husband, take care of the kids for two hours or four hours. I want to go out with my friends. I just want to spend time alone. That's creating time for yourself and vice, um, vice um, versa. And then creating time um, for both of you. Maybe you want to go out or you want to, um, spend the weekend together. There are family members available, there are friends available that can help you. I mean, the first time that we we wanted, we, we had to go away. I think our son, Tofumi, was two and a half years old. And um, we, we knew that we had to go away, both of us, because we had had, both of us were schooling at that time. 
and he was doing his PhD, I was doing my master's. We just we were so overwhelmed. And so um, his sister had to drive down to our city, which is two and a half hours away, to pick up Tofumi, take him for the weekend. And I remember having the itch to call <laughs> everyone out. No, is he okay? Is he okay? But it was a very good time, you know, for us. So you have to intentionally create the time, is, is the answer that I'll give. And just to add to that, at least from a woman who had many kids, like dozens. <laughs> and um, in our own case, so when Don was born, Diamond came shortly after. My husband would say first batch, second batch. And the truth is, for women especially, there is always that guilt that you struggle with if you want to create time for yourself. So sometimes, in fact, maybe it's now that I'm now like... Ah, the way Nigerians say, I don't borrow. So, you know, you always have that guilt of, am I a good mom? What mom actually feels, yippee, I'm alone, you know? So, and then you you have that, that emotion, you struggle, and all those things kind of weigh you down. But then it's important because you can have burnout. And when you have burnout, you become irritable, even to the children. And then you become irritable to your spouse. And life just looks like, I beg who sent me message kind of thing. So you create that time. You say to yourself, I think first of all, you deal with that feeling of there is nothing wrong to desire to be on my own. And there is nothing wrong. Because sometimes we can raise children who may begin to feel entitled. So your children always feel that you are there. And so when you want an alone time, they're almost like, I remember the first time I went to the movies with my friends without my children. My last daughter, she was in grade four. So she saw the popcorn thing in the car. And she was like, mama, did you go to the movies? I said, yes, with who? <laughs> I said, with my friend, how? <laughs> so that was the day I said to myself, this is not healthy, not for me and not for the children. So you have friends and there is nothing wrong in asking for help, especially when your kids are small. So you even diffuse that it's not a bad thing to want an alone time. It's not a bad thing to want time with your spouse. Because if you don't create that time gradually, you begin to think that your marriage is all-encompassing, even with the children. So I hear people who say, we go out. And when they say we go out, they are talking about me, my spouse, and the children. No. So you bring in people, you ask for help, and then you just find a way to just do it yourself too. Let me just quickly add one thing that everything, amen to what they said, this is a more practical, just one small step. And I really want to say that, especially to people who have young children, and especially if you are just starting, it's not that fashionable now, but set a bedtime for your children. Like set a bedtime. And when I say set a bedtime, if I, if I can go overboard, don't set it at 8.30. Like, 7.30, if you, I mean, and I, there are a lot of people who feel like, no, we're powerless. They just don't go to bed. No, actually, you can, if you, if you start it on time. Um, we started with our, our, our children well before they were one, whilst they were still breastfeeding, right? Put them just constantly. But I think sometimes we give up so easily because there's the initial um, pain and stress that comes in. The child is crying, crying, crying. Just, so we just carry the child just uh, and just watch the TV. 
And before you know it, they are one, two, and they just don't have that rhythm. And you've just literally accepted that your children are just going to be around. So by the time, honestly, and I'm, I'm, I'm careful here because I don't want to put us up as model parents, but on this one, like by the time your children are one, one and a half, you just say, okay, it's time to go to bed. They just go. And in fact, what even happens, I remember the first time, um, I think one of our kids, they went, did a sleep, two of our kids, they, they went, did a sleepover somewhere and, the, you know, they were, it was like almost 10. I mean, our own children just started sleeping. <laughs> just because they couldn't, they couldn't. So you can build that in. Literally, our children are, we have a, uh, it's going to be 10, they're almost 10 and 6. Uh, I'm not joking, holiday, holiday, when is their better? 8 o'clock. School time, their bedtime is 7.30. And we explain to them, apart from even, we say, it's good for you, your brain will be refreshed. <laughs> your brain will be refreshed and, and everything. So, and you build the whole rhythm. They, because of that, they will do their, they will have their shower at 5.30, between 5.30 and 6 o'clock. They will do their devotion, family devotion at 6, uh, uh, with each, either of us, 6 something. They have their dinner to 7.00. And then they can be with us um, up until 7.25 or 7.15. They even go and brush their teeth. We are come, let's pray. When it's 7.25, 7.30, off you go, 7.30. They're gone. And they just get used to it. Now, what that then does, if we, let's say, sleep at 10, the time has then been created. There's extra time there. But if you constantly just allow your children to invade and invade and invade, no wonder you feel pressure. So by the time they're even falling asleep, you two you are falling asleep with them. And you're waking up at the same time. So you sow into it early, very early on. You see, literally, when they're breastfeeding, sow into it, and you reap the rewards after. Thank you for those answers. Um, we have the roaming mic going around. Um, we'll take one question from the, from the crowd, and then... And then we'll go back to WhatsApp. Both of them. Can we just take the two of them and then we can go? Okay. okay. Um, you mentioned prayer, process, and um, practice. So um, what would you say to, to a couple here or watching that, has, um, that have sat down, prayed, process, practice, and discover that they don't have um, things in common, um, the three things in common, um, what would you say to them? Um, secondly, still like it, there's a lot of apprehension about marriage these days. Um, so what would you say to um, someone who really loves the person they're in a relationship with, but have a lot of apprehension about marriage? Um, so as um, Christians, we we submit ourselves um, sometimes to a way of living, a style of living, um, and sometimes in preparation for marriage, it, it doesn't give a lot of room to probably get to know a lot about the other human being. And uh, my question is, um, how do you manage something you discover about your partner in marriage? Um, maybe something, something that is not like, something negative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I'm like that. Oh. I can take the first one because that's directly, and then we'll leave the the other the other two to you guys. Um, the way I'll answer it is somewhat is somewhat um, somewhat cruel, but I'll, I'll be able to explain. Is is so you know what if you find out that you guys don't have anything, you don't have anything in purpose, right? After going through. Yeah, after going through those three things, that there's nothing to unify. It's not possible. It's not possible for you guys to not come to some for unified thing. Now, what is possible is that you may have gone through it for a while. You may have gone through them and you've not yet discovered. So it's a discovery. There's no doubt. It's a discovery. It's not like, oh, let's sit down. Let's dedicate this weekend to discovering it. You know, it's like when people talk about their gifts, the gifts that the spirit has given them, you know, we over a period of time, and sometimes it sort of changes. So this one thing I would say to that couple is patience. Come on, another yet another P, right? <laughs> right? So patience. There, there should be patience. Don't put pressure. Come on, bro. Oh my God. Yeah. But there shouldn't be there shouldn't be, I think there shouldn't be that pressure. It's like, almost, if we, this, this would be wrong. Ha, we are meant to be multiplicative. We need purpose. We can't find our purpose. Ah, <laughs> it's finished. Maybe we're not meant to be together. No, no. There's no need. You are, you, are, you are married. God brought you guys together. God will show you that purpose. Because for me, it's almost like saying, somebody saying, I don't think I have a purpose for living. Now, I would agree that that person at this moment has not discovered it. And there may be difficulties for why they've not discovered it. But I don't know anybody that God has created that doesn't have any purpose for living, particularly if they're Christians. So what I would encourage is A, patience without pressure. And then with that, do it again. Just do them. Then, as that, that is pray process, they may not come something. But then they may even find something that they individually are good at. They individually, they've come, okay, fine, let me be the one to encourage. And then you can then start to discover that, do you know I didn't think that I was called to that, but, you know, my wife would never have said, in fact, it's not that she would never have said, she said she never wanted to be in any form of ministry. She didn't want, like, right, she didn't... We asked to see about church planting, and like she told me, she was never going to marry a pastor. Right? For all of the the singles that they said, the one guaranteed way you get married to a pastor is by saying, "I don't want to marry a pastor." You know, he's go he's going to be a pastor. You know, <laughs> he's looking behind. No, it's you. <laughs> You don't get married. God allows you to get married, then the person now gets the call. So my point is, <laughs> but the point is, as she opened herself up and she saw some of these things, all of a sudden she now opened up, in, opened up and found that she, she has ministries of counseling and all of those kinds of things. So I'm saying, if you don't have the pressure and you have the patience there and you still go through the process, eventually you guys will just see that, you know, there, is, there are places that we do coalesce in. So that's what I'll say to that. And then you may, you may, if it gets to a certain point, you can decide to see people who are, you know, spiritually mature, 
for counseling after you've gone through some time and they may be able to help you guys with that process as well. I think the other question was if you discover something. John's question, yes. The, the one about discovering something after you've married and um, I, I think Pastor Femi had also said, I think you, made, you chipped in something where he asked them. Um, no, that negative, patients. that is, you something discover ne something, something negative. negative. Okay. Yes. Maybe before I move into something negative, let me just say that um, my own experience taught me that no matter how much you think you know someone, when you marry them, you then get to really know them. <laughs> you know, because, I mean, Chida and I went out from school, okay, and, and it was a, right from university we went out, but it was in the marriage that we started learning some things about ourselves. So that one is there. Then, um, that question of discovering something negative, I, I don't think it's, this is my personal opinion, right? I don't think it's helpful for anybody to try to tell you what to do if you discover something negative, and I'll tell you why. I think it will only build your fear. It won't help your faith. And we, every time you look into the future, there are only two ways to look, one of two ways to look at the future, faith or fear. So when I'm, when I'm trying to get into a relationship with someone, and I'm worrying about what I may discover, I think I'm pandering to my fears. And I don't think, quite frankly, I don't think it's helpful. It's as good as asking myself, what if I have an accident tomorrow and lose a limb? What if I lose my job? What if I die? There are so many negative things I can think about, but I don't pay attention to those things. So I think I, I would recommend that people should get into a relationship when, I mean, when the opportunity presents itself, people should listen to their heart. People should follow, you know, all of some of the things that you've learned in, in, in church, things you've read in books, things you've seen in the Bible. But while, while going through all that, your relationship is not still different from your life or faith, you know. And if you sit still, I have friends, people I started life with. I mean, we got our jobs at the same time. Up till now, they're not married. And the only reason, one of them still comes to my house. The last time he came to my house, Don was person and he looked at that and said, Shay, don't, 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 even, don't even try it. You know, I'm not about to be Ojuku and uh, Bianca. It's, not, it's just not going to happen. You, you know, so my point is that he has reasons, lots, lots of reasons why he hasn't taken that bold step. There's one book we read in church. Quite frankly, I think I, think I recommend that book. Just do it. The reason we dilly-dally around choices is because we have choices. Our grandfathers knew who they, were, they, who they would marry. You are Mr. Okafor's son. We don't marry the Okekes. We marry the Okoronkos. It's clear. They knew the jobs they will do. We are farmers. That place, that is your land, your portion of the land. The guy knew his life. He's not asking for the will of God. The, the reason we're asking for the will of God is because there is Cynthia, there is Oyibo, for those who... That's black. You know, people are, you, you have a myriad of choices. That's why you are thinking the will of God. You know, and I'm not saying don't think the will of God. I'm just saying you need to sit back and ask yourself, what is playing a role here? It's your choices. The reason you don't know what job to take is because you have two jobs. If you have no job at all, and somebody calls you to come and take a job, you'll be asking, you'll be praying for the will of God. You just go in and do the job. So sometimes we, are, we actually delay ourselves. I think that what makes a marriage successful. This is my personal opinion again. I think that what makes the marriage successful is more of the things you do in the marriage than the person you got married to. It's, 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 it's more of what you did, not because you got it right. 
Abraham, Abraham's, I hope I'm not taking. <laughs> Abraham's, Abraham's son, Isaac, married a wife that God found for, for him. That marriage was so bad that when the father is talking to, when the father is talking to his son, the wife is, is dropping. <laughs> Jezebel was a wicked woman, married a man. That marriage was so good that the husband is frowning. The wife is asking him, who is, who is pissing you off? I'll, I'll fix it. So it's not about, it's not really about who you, you, who you marry sometimes, you know. So, my, my brother, that somebody just married the person. Once you are ready and she's ready, marry the person. Leave all these fears. And, okay, let, let me just add... Okay, let me just chip in for, for the people who are already in the marriage and who just like, they wake up and say, this is not what I bargained for. So I think life is about perceptions and expectations. So sometimes we, we form expectations, we want expectations to go a particular way and we have perceptions about certain things. But if we begin to look at, like, like um, Solo said, if we see life as faith or fear and we say to ourselves okay this is this is who i have married and i am discovering certain things the first thing i should be asking myself is this is this my expectation as in personal expectation is it getting in the way is it making me maybe unrealistic or immature you know a lot of us read mills and boone when we're growing so we had an idea of you know the kind of everything just seemed like fiction and some people still go into marriages having having some will i use the word fantasy like you know so they marry a beautiful woman or a very handsome dude and discover that she snores or he snores or or you know all kinds of stuff and because they have certain kinds of expectation all of a sudden they start becoming unhappy and it begins to affect them. So first of all is to fix the expectation and say to yourself, this is life. Life, life, this is life. Nothing is perfect. If I walk with this person, if it's something we can talk about, if it's an annoying habit, if it's something we can, we can discuss, then if it is getting in the way, then there may be need maybe to talk to a counselor. But I think it's, it's nothing to... Is nothing that cannot be handled, yes. Uh, for me, I had the second question. Let me just quickly start with that. And that's why, yes, apprehension. Um, there, is, there is actually a healthy form of apprehension. And I actually think the apprehension works in, both, in two ways. There's a positive form and there's a negative one. I think there are some people that, like I was describing in the talk, um, they've just they've they've gone into marriage with their eyes closed. You know, I, I was recently talking with somebody who just went ahead and just got married, absolutely no advice from any of the people they could. And I asked the person three, four questions. The person was basically informing me that they're about to get married. I asked the person three or four questions on things. And the person was telling me I'm going to get married in like three, four days. So I asked the person three or four questions. And all the answers the person gave me. You know, I was just like, man, I didn't tell the person this. I said in my mind, I just have to be in prayer for this person because every, every single thing this person is telling me is this marriage is going to be a disaster in just a year or two. Like, now, I'm, as I said, I'm praying against that. You, 
there's nothing that makes me. I, there's no, when I see people who are trying to get married and I feel it's going to be a disaster, that is one of those prayers where I'm saying, God, I want to be 120% wrong. Because it, doesn't, it gives me no joy whatsoever for that, right? But when I, I just felt the person was getting married and going about this thing in all the wrong ways. So I want the, a positive apprehension of marriage in that regard. But obviously, there is also the negative apprehension. And I think it fits into a lot of these things that Chidima and Solomon are saying. There is something about an unrealistic expectation. And we have it in so many other aspects of our lives. It is it's also the one where we expect, you know, people that have entered into our workplace, they are, new, they are, not, they are fresh, they are not experienced. You expect them to be experts in spreadsheets, you expect them to be expert in presentation, you expect, and you just say, am I not paying you? You know, that kind of thing. So as though that would, you know, sometimes you want your children to just immediately get certain things like, am I not paying huge school fees? You don't want your children because you've been taking them to church and you've been doing devotions. You, you don't think you, your children, is everybody else's child that will sin, no? but your own child can never actually sin. So there is this sense of false expectation and also how people change is also a false there's a false expectation of that and so i think when we get into marriage a lot of people are going with false expectations you can never get a perfect marriage you can never get a perfect person but you have people that you can grow into health with you can grow into health with so that's why i like this sort of there is, there is an aspect of faith you still need. Yes, you, you enter. Honestly, it's like, Jacob, you are not Rachel. <laughs> you are Leah, right? Like sometimes you just wake up like, I didn't know. And if we, do, if we do it the Christian way, and this is why a lot of people say, how can we not have sex before marriage? How can I not test this? How can I not know what this person's habits are? And so they say, because I don't want, to, I don't want surprises when I get into the marriage. So the Christian one, if you put those boundaries, Listen, there are things that you are bound to find out that you're like, I didn't expect. So faith is important to say, the God that has brought us together, there's a sense in which the God that has brought us together will see us through. If you have that, as my wife likes to say, it's not love that sustains the marriage, it's commitment that does. This isn't to say you should then stay in a marriage that is abusive. But it's saying that if you are committed in a particular way, that commitment brings the love that transforms. Jesus is committed to us despite our failures. He's committed to us despite our sin. And it is that commitment that Jesus has to, for us that eventually transforms us into a bride that will be without spot or wrinkle. So if we say we are committed here, that commitment should then drive us lovingly to then say, here's where I need to adjust. Here's where I need to speak up. Right? Love doesn't always mean just taking all the crap. It actually means sometimes saying, I will not take this crap again, right? Here's where we need to say, we are going to go and speak to this person. You are not coming me, I'm going to tell them, I'm going to open our marriage. And I'm opening our marriage because I love, I want our marriage to work. So, but somebody who is not committed can just give up easily. You see what I mean? So I think if people, if we start having marriages that we can show people and say, look at this, look at that. For every time people say, oh, marriage is getting da 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 all marriages are breaking up, I always say, but I know this person, and I know this person, and I know this person, and I know this person. So we can do that, and then second, I can say, 
You know those people that are there, right? They let them tell you about how their marriage was six years ago. Look at where they are now. So we must always keep holding on examples, positive examples, and also realistic examples, being honest that people did not start where they were, for people to combat that narrative that then says, because of this and this, they wouldn't work. So the next question is coming, again, from our WhatsApp. And it's coming from an anonymous person. It says, how do you maintain the energy between spouses to avoid boredom and all? Anonymous. How do you maintain the energy between spouses to avoid boredom and all? How do I even answer this now? When I was a single person, I, I was, I was very suspicious about marriage um, because I thought eh, probably after the first one or two years, I'd, I'd, I was telling this, um, telling someone this um, a few days ago that I basically sentenced my life <laughs> to, to, I sentenced myself to a life of boredom or a marriage of boredom. I was like, I don't think any good thing can come out of marriage, really. I mean, what is there to do? Just raise up kids and uh, just live a boring life. But I think it's intentionality, really. You know, part of what uh, um, Femi was saying um, his talk was, you know, looking for is it common gifts and um, looking for the, the things, common passion, the things that brought you together in the first place, and then working on those things. Look, watch movies together. Look for the things that you love to do together. Um, I don't. I don't know how else. To <laughs> okay, I think. Okay, to just add to what, um, to a large extent, like you said, intentionality. So people think that because we fell in love with each other, we are crazy about each other that if you just do nothing and because maybe you heard a voice from heaven saying this is my this is your beloved husband marry so you think that if you do nothing it just flows so you have to just be intentional you have to be deliberate marriage is is hard work it is not the hard work from the angle of because sometimes when people paint marriage they almost paint it to seem like you are going to sentence yourself to death like um that what it was on sunday we are driving from church and I saw this billboard from a church and it says, you can be happy in your marriage. And so I said to Sula, I'm like, is that not a norm to be happy in your marriage? The other one should be, don't be unhappy in your marriage. And then he says to me, he said, babe, see, the norm now is that people are unhappy. So the abnormal one is for people to be happy. So I think it's, and then, you know, especially in the church, you hear things like pray against the spirit of divorce, pray against the spirit. So there is always one spirit yeah, that is um, attacking marriages. But I think it's the fact that if couples are not careful, they can actually drift. They can drift apart. And oftentimes it can be very subtle. So it may not be because there is a major problem, but um, maybe they are fighting. Some couples don't fight. But that doesn't mean they are intimate. So they just drift gradually. They just become 
two roommates living together. So for that, for the energy to be sustained, you have to be in each other's lives. But that doesn't mean you, have, you don't give room for space. Because I still think it's unhealthy when couples think that because we are in love, uh, my friend shall be your friend. My what I like will be what you like. So if if Solo likes Man U, I must love Man U. I, 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 you may like your club and I may like mine. <laughs> but the, the important thing is, if he really likes football, I may just begin to like football so that we can have shared passions, have shared things, be in each other's lives, talk, communicate, gist, because gist does not have to be something serious. Baby, sit down, let's plan the budget for 2022. <laughs> or where would the children... Gist can be as, as, as silly as... Like, as gossip. And um, I think humor helps every marriage. When I was getting... For me, a, a man that has a sense of humor, I think is, is maybe number two on my list. So my husband has it. Don't mind that he's always quiet in church. Number one is he has to have a, a good head on his shoulder. <laughs> so, so that sense of humor really, really puts energy in your relationship and in your marriage. It doesn't give room for, for boredom because if there is humor, there is play, there is laughter, there is, you just have fun together. Sorry, I wanted to add something which she said that I was going to emphasize that, which is communication. Communicate about any and everything. Text, even when the person is not there, text. He can be in the living room, you are in the room, text. Text, talk, before you go to bed, just gist, gossip, communicate, communicate. It keeps the energy alive, really. That's just... I think I'm in hundred percent agreement. So I just them. wanted to just okay. emphasize that the Bible is against gossip. <laughs> well, we gossip a lot. <laughs> just to, I mean, I mean, agreement with everything that um, Tosi and Chido have said, and just to also add, and I, and I speak as a man, um, people go through phases in life, uh, and sometimes I think that the fear of dislocating makes us embrace so much that we, we then destroy the relationship. You know, we're afraid to dislocate and then we hug so tight. And in hugging so tight, we strangle ourselves in that hug, you know. Uh, so we have to create that sense, that sense of, of, of balance, you know. People we go through phases. One time, Chido complained that I wasn't, in school I used to write a lot of love letters. Jeez, it took I, I'll write days pages. To read them. Yeah, I'll spend weeks writing them, then I'll post them. Songs of Solomon. Then <laughs> But I but I said to her, that was the only thing I had then. I had I had I had no money to give to you. So the only thing I had was telling you about the future. Okay? But now I'm I'm the future is here and I'm I'm working to sustain that future. So don't expect those letters. So it comes back to the question of expectations. You know, as people make turns in life, some things drop off. New things come in. And we must be willing to know that the people we've entered into relationships with are changing. Even our health will change. One of my favorite things is to have old friends. I have friends of 70, 65. And I go, I go to them. Why? Because I'm, I'm going to end up where they are in a matter of years. So 
I can't speak for 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 my for for, for ladies or or chido, but the point is we are all changing, and as we change, we should make room for that change and not strangle ourselves in the relationship. And, and we should just stop being afraid of dislocating. You don't even know when this time passes. We are 19 years plus. Quite frankly, we woke up every morning with gist. In the night, we gist. In the middle of the night, babe, are you awake? I, I want. Are you awake? She's awake. We gist. You know, and we don't even know when time passes. You know. Very, very, very incisive answers. And we have one more question to go. Just one more question. Please, one more question. She was, she was pleading. So, um, I think some of your questions have been answered, really. So, first, you know, I was, my question was, what do you say to somebody who wants to take all the boxes, like, before they get married, right? I mean, but that has already been answered because, you know, you can't really have any perfect marriage in the sense. But I think in the sense of finances, and you're like... <laughs> I don't want to suffer. I don't want anybody to suffer me. So I want to really like, it's true. I mean, so like, I want to, I mean, I mean I'm on the table of like, let me get it all sorted. And then, you know, and now, I don't know, I don't want to suffer last, last. That's what I mean. So what do you say, you know, to, you know, from that perspective of finances? Yeah. You want to be a baby girl, are you? <laughs> baby girl for life. There are four things that are most important in, these four things must be settled. <laughs> to have, to choose your life partner, to, to be, to, to start off well in terms of your marriage, there are just four things, four questions. One, do you believe the same way? Are you both Christians? If, you are, if one is a Christian, a Christian and a Muslim should not get married. One else, please, though. That rebellious side, um, I don't think that because it's cold in here, there's fire that can come out from this. These are the days. All right, so one, you must believe the same way. Two, you must believe the same, you must believe in the same thing. And two, you must believe in the same thing the same way. Right? It's hard for somebody who is, and I'm not trying to denigrate anybody here, but somebody that goes to a cellar church and then somebody that is high Roman Catholic. They are both Christians, but like they will have problems. Who is going to go to whose own church? All right. Third thing is they should deeply love each other. They should deeply love each other. Uh, so believe the same thing, believe the same thing the same way. Um, um, uh, huh? Deeply love each other. Fourth thing, there's always one or two big questions that need to be settled, important questions. Always one or two big important questions. For instance, I want to live in Germany. I want to live in Nigeria. I feel I'm called to live in Germany. I feel I'm called to live. You have to settle that question. Another one. Ah, I've always envisioned that my mom is going to come and live with us in this house once we get married. No, my mom, do you understand? Those are things. Yeah, that's it. But you see, the money thing, eh, it's, it's something we have to be really careful with. I often ask people, I then say, so how much? How much is it? You say, so that I don't suffer. <laughs> Let me tell you. If you say, let's say you are earning 400K, and you'd be like, ah, 400K will get me a house in 
Aja. I don't, when I was my, I wasn't my. I was living in Aja, but now <laughs> Aja traffic. I want to live at least in Agungi forward. So, Oga, how much do you earn? Okay, he earns 800k. Ah, 1.2 million every month. That's good. We get to Agungi. Oh, sorry. One, no, plus her own. Oh, no, it's her. Oh, sorry. I heard that thing. They said the man's, nice one. The man's money belongs to both of them. The woman's money belongs to her. No problem. You still live in Ajabi, that. So, but let's assume they are into the 1.2 million. Let's assume they are into the 1.2 million. Okay, so you move to Agungi. First problem. Once you move to Agungi, then you now realize, Omo, Agungi is not lucky phase one. And there's flooding inside there. You're like, what kind of suffering is this now? I'm flooding and all of those things. Your taste changes. Your taste changes. So this idea of what is suffering. Second, and I'm not, this is not a curse or anything. This is just reality. He loses his job. So now what do you do? You now blame him for losing his job. You now blame him and say, you have brought me to suffer, you have brought me to suffer, you have brought me. So it isn't, in some sense, not realistic. And then the third thing about assessing that stuff is this. Oh, we forgot that our help and our source comes from the Lord. It's now from someone's bank account not to suffer. And don't get me wrong, I am not trying to dismiss the place of money, of money, finance, and all that. Me to suffer, I don't like to suffer. You understand? And at the same time, it's funny that Jesus puts a parable, a parable about how people use money, and says that if you are, if you are, if you don't know how to manage this world resources, we shall give you um, um, a greater resources to manage. And it is in that, in the sense of that parable, it says you cannot serve God and mammon. So on the one hand, he's saying, yes, there is an importance. And yet, with that importance, be careful that your heart doesn't slip into idolatry. And the way your heart doesn't slip into idolatry is to say that, no, God, you are my source. And if you are my source, then the person that I have seen in these categories that really do matter, I'm going to put my, I'm going to put my trust in you and go with that person. And how you were my source, you'll be that person's source, and both of us, you'll be our source, and we will be happy you respect it. Right? Um, my wife and I are in a more comfortable position today, but it wasn't always like that. It really was always wasn't like that. And you need to sit down with them to actually tell you their own story. It's a wonderful story. But honestly, I never thought, um, we, I don't th we weren't trying to make that decision based on that. Now, of course, as we then come together, and this is where I have seen, I, I used to tell a lot of people who are hesitant, particularly guys, hesitant to get married. Why? Because they say we don't have this amount of money. We don't have that whole blessing thing I was talking about. It wasn't just because I was preaching or everything. I have seen it. I tell people get married first, and see whether there's no blessing that comes. I don't know how to explain it, but he, he, even he's speaking, he'll tell you, it's one of them. Like there's something that happens. I'm not trying to. It's not a promise. It's not a whatever. But people that are united, all of a sudden, you are able to work better. You are more focused, and somehow there's something that happens. Like again, it's not a Guaranteed, because I don't want you to get married because of that. Like, it's such a poor way of thinking. For some, for ones that are saying we don't want to suffer, it's a poor way of thinking. But again, once you come together, when you trust that it was that Lord that brought you together, then it's okay. 
we are now in your mercy. Help us. We were happy when we didn't have what we have, and we are still happy now. And by God's grace, if we take some of it or all of it away, it's in his hands that we are in. I'm not saying that won't bring in some difficulty. It will bring in. But you see, Christians are the ones that should know that we can be happy in the midst of plenty of want. Paul says, I have learned the secret of contentment. I have learned how to abase or to abound. That's where our heart should be. If we go down the road of trying to say, this guy doesn't have that much or something, right? And you go for the one that has. I have seen so many people, this is what Paul talks about in 1 Timothy 6, that talks about the love of money. And he says so many people have pierced themselves, right? Because of the love of money, they have entered into destructive ways. We should never, that should never be our portion. And finally, I'll just say this. I know one or two people, even in this church, honestly, like, I've even told some single people, I said, part of the reason why, I'm not saying this is the only reason, but I say part of the reason why you are single is that I've seen godly people, that real godly people, the kind of people that are answering the bigger questions, but they don't put on the right shirt. Their English is not as great in the way you want. He doesn't smell as good and everything. And that's why you keep going for the ones that have that profile and you keep wondering why you're always heartbroken. Marry that one that isn't kidding and then touch him up. Because I've seen people that have moved and honestly, literally four times, their income four, went four times in two years. And now they are looking so good and then the other ones are like, hey, how did we miss this one? <laughs> Let our hearts be on God. He's our source, all right? Amen. I just want to add one thing to, just one thing to all that Pastor Femi has said. I just want to say that this doesn't take away the place of making sure that the person you get into a relationship with is a responsible, responsible. person. Responsible. Responsible. Because that's the, that's, I think that's the biggest problem. And the problem of irresponsibility is sometimes it can mask behind prosperity. So because the guy has a job today, if he loses that job, he doesn't yeah. want to stand up anymore. Yeah. He, doesn't, he doesn't want to try anymore. He, he marries Netflix that you paid for when you complain he will beat you up when your when your your bosses call you he will claim that calling because you're having an affair with them it becomes so it becomes your problem in life so and it can be the other way around as yes. well so i think that point yes. of responsibility yes. just that i should i should bring it in yes. that's what you should watch out for yes yes <laughs>